0: Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host Aaron Broverman. Hello, fanboys and fangirls! It's your host Aaron Broverman. Here we are today for another episode of Speech Bubble. In studio today is Adam Prosser. Adam is in the midst of his Kickstarter, which uh, ends on August 13th for the Strange Romance Anthology. It's basically a collection of uh, Toronto comic creators similar to the Toronto Comics Anthology, but this time uh, they're focusing on uh, romantic tales, but romantic tales with a twist. And the twist is uh, those tales are maybe like sci-fi, horror, those sorts of things, but they're all uh, romantic stories uh, with a genre fiction uh, twist attached to them. Hey, Adam. Hey, uh, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so good to have you in. I'm glad we could get you in before uh, your Kickstarter expired. I guess the first thing that I that sort of intrigued me about Strange Romance is it's sort of pre and post comics code. And and what I what I mean by that is like. You have sort of like the EC horror style comics and like the things that were before the Frederick Werham, you know, Seduction of the Innocent that created the Comics Code. And then you have Romantic Tales, which is sort of what the industry switched to when the Comics Code was like in full effect and they couldn't do horror um, sorts of things anymore. Or else they would be in violation of the comics code. So it's so it's an interesting it's an interesting mix. I think you're you're a bit of a throwback because you don't see uh, romance comics quite as much as you used to in in the fifties. Uh, and 60s before before the Marvel Age, w- what do you think about that?
1: Well, that's that's an interesting point. I hadn't even uh, considered that uh, <laughs> that we're doing sort of almost a mashup of all the EC, all the the types of things you'd see in the 50s. I guess. I mean, uh, we do have some horror comics. We're also sci fi and fantasy. Right. I would argue, actually, and this is something I was saying in another interview it's true that you don't get old-fashioned romance comics anymore. Right. Uh, that was sort of, but in the same t- token, you don't necessarily get Tales from the Crypt comics anymore. No, exactly. Like, horror comics evolved, and I'd say romance comics evolved in the same way. Um, like, there's, if you ever saw um, uh, Strangers in Paradise, or you could even argue Love and Rockets, I mean, things right. like that. They were romance comics, too, and they kind of evolved into a more modern sensibility, just the way, same way horrors d- move uh, comics did, superhero comics, everything else did. So, romance is kind of, and in fact, it one of the other people who interviewed me was pointing out that there's a par- there's been a bit of a boom of uh, romance comics. There's a comic called Fresh Romance being published uh, at uh, – oh, no, that's at Oni. There's a f- one or two others. Anyway, there's actually been a very minor boomlet of romance comics lately. Mm. And uh, it's just a very good uh, medium to explore um, – a good genre, I guess, to explore um, – different kinds of stories, it can be much more elaborate than just, uh, as you say, the 50s type romance comics, I think.
0: Yeah. What do you attribute uh, the resurgence of romance comics to?
1: Wow. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of it is there's a larger movement away from everything being superheroes. I think when the the big crash happened, in the, first there was a, you know, in the mid-80s through to the early 90s, there was this... Oh, comics are going to be super valuable. Of course, we all know about the big bubble that happened there. You know, Everyone was pursuing that. And then there was a bit of a crash in sort of the mid-90s, early 90s. I think that everything was struggling. And the things that were struggling the least were DC and Marvel, as usual. So everything's been very super. And I know that when I was coming up, I was always a little bit frustrated at how it was DC. Like, there was the 80s uh, indie black and white boom. That was actually huge. And that shrunk. That really contracted in the 90s because of all this economic stuff that I was talking about. And I got a little, you know, I was always a little frustrated that, oh, you know, I I like superheroes. They're fine. I didn't really grow up with superheroes. But I thought, oh, comics, you can do anything with comics. You can do all these different genres. And everything was very focused on, you know, DC and Marvel because that was the only thing that could survive in the marketplace. And I think the comics market is finally really starting to bounce back. I think I read the other day that there were bigger comic sales this past month than there had been in like 20, 30 years. So it's really, it is actually starting to boom. And you know, the growth of image comics, uh, a number of indie comics have really started to take off so that it's not just DC and Marvel. You can actually get your stuff published outside of DC and Marvel and do fairly well. Um, So I think that, and I think that's causing every genre to explode. I think Um, so not just superheroes, but that's allowing people to say, and, and of course the other thing is the uh, web comics boom, uh, which I think has made people say, Oh yeah, I, uh, you know, I can do whatever I want online, and it it's led to much more personal stories, much more small indie stories, and uh, that tends to lead towards romance. So I guess that would be what sort of caused it overall.
0: Cool, and also I think the audience is getting a little bit more diverse. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Like then it used to be like there's there's more women reading comics. There's people that are not so much into superheroes. It's kind of ironic though because. In other aspects of entertainment, like cinema and television, you have a huge focus on superheroes, but in comics, the focus is sort of more diffuse in terms of, like, there's more places to go.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've, uh, in comics, we've been doing superheroes for, you know, 80 years. Uh, And, I mean, of course, we've had other genres, but it keeps coming back to superheroes, and I think it's kind of like, well, we can do something else. And, And in some ways, you could argue that, Uh, TV and movies, (laughs) they kind of... I don't want to say it's a more natural home for superheroes than comics, uh, but now that they can do anything that they need to do to portray superheroes on screen, uh, I think that's caused a huge uh, shift. And people like, oh, you know, and it, you know, not to get (laughs) too hectoring here, but I do get a little annoyed when people are like, oh yeah, I always just wanted to see the Hulk on screen. I always wanted to see Spider Man on screen. And there's kind of a sense of, well, I'll leave the comics behind because I wanted to see, you know, Spider Man on screen. I'm like, you know, it's different media, Uh, you know, the, the 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 comics are very interesting in and of themselves and that's a whole other thing but I think there is a sense of oh my god I don't have to do Marvel and DC I don't have to do superheroes I can do whatever I want and whereas the, the movies are like oh hey we can do superheroes now so that's kind of the excitement is in the movies and, and TV I think whereas in comics they're kind of like the excitement is branching out away from marvel and dc yeah and they're ones. kind of
0: over superheroes
1: yeah exactly yeah, yeah well they're clearly not over i mean people are buying the not, comics, not but, over but i yeah. mean
0: they're over it like people the audience is is sort of over it right right yeah
1: and even i would almost argue it's more that the create like the audience of superheroes is still there it's always been there right. it sustained the comic industry for decades right. but the creators are kind of like oh i can finally do this you know Indie comic about people drinking coffee that I wasn't able to do, or whatever you know. They could actually do that, and it, it, there wasn't a market for it t- 20 years ago, but now there is. Right. So I think that's uh, that. It's almost the creative side that's that's, and that is what's as you say, diversifying the audience more, not just in terms of women and people of color, but you know, it's it's you know any kind of genre, anything I want to do. You can go back to the sort of indie comics boom of the 80s, just put it up online if you can't find a publisher. You know. Right. So,
0: right. Exactly. So. What is your uh, background? Where did you grow up? Where were you born?
1: Well, uh, my background is very boring. I'm a very standard white guy from Canada. Um, I, you know, I'm from, I grew up in Oshawa, but around, and, and in Toronto. And, uh, I went to school. I actually went to Sheridan College. Uh, was, you know, I did the arts program kind of wanted to get into animation and I essentially realized I didn't have the, um, the attention span <laughs> For animation, I, I, I wanted, I was really more interested in storytelling via visual medium. And if with animation you come in and you're very, and in fact, this was when, um, CGI was really starting to take off too. So people were shifting from classical animation to CGI. That was getting even more, it was already a pretty technical, field, but it was getting more technical because it was CGI. And uh, I, I kind of went, you know, I, I don't want to sit there rendering somebody's, we, we call them toe renders. Somebody who had to do a, my, one of my professors was like, yeah, you're going to have to rend, when you start out, you're going to have to render someone's toe for, you know, 40 hours a week. And I was like, I don't want to do, I want to tell stories. Right. And I realized, you know, comics can be if it needs to be, it can be one person, sits down, writes and draws everything, you know, or a small team. So you can really convey, and you know, I want, I was really more on the writing side, but I want, I liked having a visual component. So of course, comics is natural for me. I've always kind of bucked wanting to be in a big system and a big, uh, in a big, uh, you know, even though that's where the money is, I've always wanted to be kind of an indie guy. And so comics let me do that. And so I started just doing web comics and I've Plugged away at it for years until, uh, you know, I. and this was, uh, the, launching Strange Romance, that was a way of saying, to m- both myself and a bunch of my friends, we were kind of like, well, you know, this will be a good exposure for us, we'll we'll all get together, we'll do a an anthology, uh, there's kind of a neat theme to it, and hopefully uh, this will showcase a lot of our work. There's some people who are a little more established, but some people who are, you know, they've been plugging away at, you know, web comics or illustration or whatever, and this will be an opportunity to really see our stuff in print and really see, see uh, you know, for some of them uh, and to really showcase our stuff for the first time in some cases.
0: How old are you?
1: <laughs> I'm actually 39 years old.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, like I wanted to give... The audience a sense of place because when you said there was like the transition between like regular animation and 3D animation, I wanted to give a sense of like what era yeah. we're talking about. Late
1: late 90s is what I'm talking about. Okay, it's okay. Like it's it's there was still really just Pixar, but you know it, everyone was making that transition and going, oh, we got to all do computer animation now. Old animation is dead. Of course, that's how people th- see it. It's like a technology. It's like it's not the technology. You can still do classic animation. There's no reason you can't do CGI. You have to stop doing CGI. Even Pixar said that. It's like. We don't want classical animation to die. This is just a new thing. But everyone's like, "Oh, that's the new kind of animation. The old kind is outdated." Right, right, right. That's exactly the kind of thing that drove me nuts about animation. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally.
0: So, yeah. when you started getting into comics, was it from an artistic uh, sort of outlet, sort of thing, or were you already like a fan of comics? Like,
1: yeah. Oh, oh I was definitely a fan of comics. Yeah, uh, yeah. I became. I, I had an interesting. Like I said, I didn't re- grow up reading superheroes. It was interesting. I didn't get into superheroes till I was in sort of my teens. Okay. Somebody started showing me, I actually, <laughs> it was the image type stuff, like Spawn, that actually I briefly got into, because at least that was an entry-level thing, uh, as, as opposed to you know DC and Marvel, which had been around for decades and was kind of bewildering to me. And of course, nowadays, you can get into that fairly easily, because there's lots of ways of, you know, getting into the origins and they republish all the old comics. And of course the movies show the origins and everything. But at the time I was kind of like, oh, I don't know where Justice League is after, you know, 50 years. I don't understand it. Uh, so these were new comics that I could get into, but I quickly, uh, the, the the two ones that really drew me in when I was a kid, I, I loved Carl Barks, uh, Uncle Scrooge type stuff. There were a few other star comics, Harvey comics, but then as, an, as a teenager, I started to like... like The two big ones were Sandman and Bone, which I think is common for a lot of people around that era. Uh, they were really instructive. And I was like, oh, yeah, you can do... And then Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics made got me really excited. And then I discovered Alan Moore, of whom I'm a, hu- I'm a huge fan. And uh, that kind of... That drove me into more of the mainstream of comics. And I thought, yeah, hey, this is a really interesting medium. And as as much as it was doing in the 80s and 90s, there was still tons of room. And even now, there's tons of room to do really interesting, innovative, cutting-edge work in the comics medium. Like film, you know, it was guys in the 30s and 50s who were breaking ground, (laughs) and now it's a pretty well-established medium. Comics, even though it's been around the same length of time, it really feels like there's so much room to do interesting things with it and, and, and to really be challenging and interesting um which is that was one of the things that excited me about it so
0: that's awesome yeah it's amazing how many people have come in here and mentioned spawn as sort of their (laughs) transitional point between either between superheroes And like more indie comics, or as like an entryway Mm -hmm. to to indie comics, like right from the beginning.
1: Yeah, it was almost the other way around for me, and that that was the first superhero book I could actually read. Like a friend of mine bought it and stuff like that. And I'm not going to argue that Spawn was some great comic, but it was it was a new thing that that was the thing. It wasn't again 50 years of history. It was something which, in retrospect, there was no reason I couldn't have just read The Flash, really. But I wasn't. You know, it, I, I want, I, I'm the kind of guy who always wants to start, start at the beginning. And with Spawn, it was like, yeah, it's only a few issues at that point. Uh, so you could actually get into it. So I think that's something that really, when we talk about bringing in new readers to comics, I think that is almost the number one thing. It almost doesn't matter what the story is. It's do something that isn't, doesn't isn't insular and bewildering to new readers <laughs> something that's like here's the first page you can read it from this you know uh you can't really do that with superheroes in a realistic way and i think that's why the the uh, the audience is diversified and, and expanded as we get away from superheroes just because like you could do a new superhero book and it could be brand new from issue number one and people would be into it uh but there's a sense that DC and Marvel have that all sewn up too.
0: Well, and then even within superheroes, there's like a diversification because you have books like Faith mm-hmm. with like the the sort of uh, rotund uh, character, yeah. the the body type that you don't normally see as a superhero. That's yep. like very much done on purpose as like a body image statement.
1: Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen that. I, I mean, I've seen that. I haven't read it. Right. Uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, comics really needed they got to a point they really needed to be like this is not just for a very very narrow segment of the market which is guys who are a certain age and they live you know and they're obsessive and they're nerdy about it and you know it's that kind of it's like yeah I mean, there should be more women there should be probably be more you know but, but it's not just when I talk about the diversification I'm not just talking about you know a women and people of color and I'm talking about like um, just a genre that maybe people because there are always going to be people who just aren't interested in superheroes right you know, they're not into it at all but maybe they would read Love and Rockets or maybe they would read The Walking Dead as we've discovered uh, or maybe they would read you know it's it, it can still be nerdy but it's just not superheroes which some people don't like and that's what I'm saying it, it was never that healthy that we were so fi- and I love superheroes I'm glad that superheroes are, are going and they haven't gone anywhere but I you know there needs to be superheroes get stronger when there's other genres out there to support the whole industry. And it's not all relying on those people who go to the comic store every year or every month and uh, every month, every week and buy 500 books and, uh, and take them home. And like, that was kind of what DC, and that was kind of what the entire industry was relying on for, for about 10 years there. We had people, it's like, if those people stop buying comics, we're out of luck, we're screwed,
0: you know? So, yeah. So when you were doing your own comics, Were you writing and drawing? Were you self-taught? Were they all web comics? Like, how did you start doing your own comics? Okay, (laughs) yeah,
1: I did. I basically said, you know, the web comics boom happened around 2001. Uh, I launched a little web comic literally two weeks before (laughs) 9/11. (laughs) <laughs> um, but, what was uh, it called? It was called Night Shift, and it is still online. It's still actually something I'm fairly I'm fairly proud of, very crudely drawn, uh, because I was doing, you know, the, the, the trend that, that time was um, very much strip comics, like newspaper comics. And it was the attitude of my comic won't get published in the newspaper because it's a very insular uh, thing to get syndicated in a newspaper. But that was the kind of material that people wanted to make. And of course, the comics could have a ex- huge explosive readership if they were good. Uh, of course, you had to go in every every day and put up a new comic every day and you had to have constant materials uh, going through. And I actually deliberately did something very simple, even though I'm, you know, I'm a trained artist. I, I wanted to do something very simple on purpose uh, like I had it was it's about it's actually an idea it was about a, a museum where all the exhibits are alive and hanging out and bugging the security guard and this was a few years before Night of the Museum came out um, and in fact that was one of the things that made me kind of go "Oh, geez, I don't know if I can keep doing this people keep saying "Oh, they stole your idea I don't think they stole my idea <laughs> but it did kind of get uh, you know and mine was much more of a gag daily strip and it was just casually like casual surrealism of the mummies. Hanging out, but I designed all the characters to be very simple. Like the mummy doesn't have any eyes, and his Wendell Sukinra, and he he was just a mouth essentially. <laughs> and it's kind of a goofy looking. It's a funny, but also b just having a lot of the beats were based on repetitive image and like almost copying and pasting, of course they would have other expressions as needed, but I thought that was actually a good rhythm for the gags uh, to do that, to just have characters who were deliberately lacking in the full range of expression and body language. Um, You know, there was one guy who was a little Picasso type painting come to life and a stone statue who basically only had one expression. He couldn't, and he had a weird, he was a Mayan statue. Uh, Even, you know, there was a, a uh, female statue based on the Vilas de Milo, so she didn't have arms. Yeah. So in every way, they were limited in some way, uh, and that was deliberate. And I just thought that was actually—I thought that actually had a funny rhythm to it. That they didn't have—they—they—they could—they were always very impassive. It was kind of Buster Keaton, stone-faced. <laughs> if they were going to do anything, they could—they could just somebody could talk to them, and they'd just be staring at you with no expression on their face, kind of thing. <laughs> um, so that was kind of the gag. And then I did a few other things that I'm not i'm sorry i'm slightly embarrassed by but i they i tried to go a little you know to to improve my one was called amazon space rangers which i actually started as kind of a joke within night shift it was their favorite tv show so i decided to do a strip based on that it it was pretty garbagey but it was at least me going okay i'm going to do full page comic all the time instead of just a strip basically and do action adventures type stuff
0: Cool, that's awesome. Is that still available? Like can you read Amazon Space Rangers or is <laughs> oh, it just Night Shift?
1: It is no, it's online somewhere. And then the, the I did a, yet another comic called Freak You, okay. uh, which again, I kind of outgrew it unfortunately. It was sign of about frat boys and I, you know, as I got a little older, I was like, "Oh, this is not the kind of people I want to be writing about basically." Those are both online if you look for them. Freak You actually got trade public publication it was on a site called comic genesis which i don't even know if it's still around so but i believe it's all out there so if you google night shift amazon space rangers or freak you they are all out there uh i don't link to them or anything anymore but uh the comic i i've i'm now doing and it was actually it's actually been um do you mind if i move on to what i'm doing now sure yeah absolutely Um, the comic i was doing now is um uh, called Lemuria. Actually, there's a few things I'm doing as well. Uh, Strange Romance has sort of been occupying my time for the last year, but uh, Lemuria was a comic I did as a webcomic, and I'm now... I sort of took it offline, but I'm doing it... I'm publishing it through Comixology, so it's a digital comic. Okay. Uh, which is kind of cool. I, I So it's meant to be more of an issue-by-issue issue story, uh, and that's kind of a goof on sword and sorcery comics, especially 70s-type stuff, you know, the pulpy...
0: Like Conan and stuff yeah, like that? R- exactly. Yeah. I mean, the main
1: character... Uh, I created a whole world, I mean, Lemuria, Is an idea that people used to have back in the uh, back in the like nineteenth century. People used to believe there had been a lost continent called Lemuria, just like Atlantis. But Lemuria is funnier, obviously. Uh, Lemuria was supposed to have been in the Pacific Ocean. So I combined a few ideas on that. I was kind of like, it's the land they, they they did it because Lemurs appear on multiple continents. So they postulated the idea that there was a continent that Lemurs came from originally, and that was probably the lost origin of humanity as well. So it was kinda, oh,
0: really? Like this was like where like the eighteenth century, eighteenth like, century. Yeah.
1: It was. It was kind of floated briefly scientifically. Then it was discredited pretty fast. But sort of people who like you know new age type theories picked up on it.
0: Like we all come from lemurs,
1: well, or something no, like that. No, it's it's. Uh, I don't know ever because this isn't it. It it. <laughs> never was very scientific. Okay. <laughs> so in this case, like when it was initially floated, it was the idea of just oh, we've got. Um, you know, oh, lemurs appear on this continent, this continent, this continent. Oh, there must have been another continent somewhere that they all originated from, and it was about naturalism and stuff like that. And they said another other species, but lemurs were the one that this, the guy, I guess, who wrote about it was following. So he said that, oh, what if there was another continent that all the lemurs originated from? And eventually, they came up with plate tectonics and continental drift, and they realized that you know that's where species evolve from. But so, but they had floated this idea; it captured the imagination of you know New Agey type people like Blavatsky anyway not gonna go on a whole rant about but there's a whole <laughs> there's a whole interesting era of the late 18th early 19th century where they had all these weird theories, and it inspired pulp writing like how Robert E Howard who did Conan he was kind of basing it on that whole oh yeah Atlantis the lost i mean again Atlantis came from Well, Atlantis came from Plato a long time ago, so it was partly mythical. Lemuria was pseudoscientific, so it was all the rage in the late 19th century. But, of course, they just came up with their own crackpot ideas. It had nothing to do with with reality. In my version, it's just, like I say, it is the land where lemurs once ruled the earth and humanity were their slaves. uh, And they threw off, and the lemurs have been declining. And in this world, the lemurs can talk, and it's kind of like... You know, in a few more thousand years, they're not going to be able to talk anymore because they're getting too dumb, and humans are taking over. Basically, <laughs> right? It's
0: sort of like Planet of the Apes, but it's like Planet of the Lemurs.
1: Yeah, well, it's it, we're now in a world like at this point, the world is very much Conan type, like it, you know, pre deluge fantasy world, uh, and lemurs are just. Like, my joke is that lemurs have no... Att- Again, this is this is a comedic version of this. Right. So the lemurs have no attention span. They just hang out in the jungle all day playing with pieces of string. Uh, they used to rule the world, but now humans are taking over. And so humans are kind of, you know, uh, they're, they've they got their civilization. And I, I based it all... Like I say, Lemuria is supposed to be in the Pacific Island, so I actually thought it would be kind of cool to base it on Polynesian designs and stuff like that. Anyway, so that's my comic that I do. Uh, is available on uh, Comixology, and I'm going to have another issue up, hopefully before the end of the year. I've got a bunch drawn that I just need to color, basically. But I, th- I thought it would be, like I say, just to promote my stuff, I did. Uh, I- and then I've got another comic that I want to launch uh, it- within another month or so called Eldorado, which is also another kind of pulp riff. This is a more serious one. It's a bit of a riff on Tarzan and stuff like that. If you go to Phantasmus, let me plug my website now, yeah, if I may. Yeah, totally. uh, you can all Lemuria, Stranger Romance, and uh, the eventual site of El Dorado are on phantasmictales.com okay. uh, which is P-H-A-N phantasmic with an M okay. <laughs> so I know of course I always run into the problem because it's got a weird spelling there but anyway you can see all this stuff that I'm blathering about on my website there but Strange Romance is, you can link to and that's on Comixology as well uh, Lemuria is there, and you can go to Comicsology and you can download the first couple issues that are there. Uh, and I'm pretty happy with it. It's it's kind of a fun fun comic. As I say, the main there's a number of different characters that I'm going to bounce between, but the main ones are kind of a one of them's a riff on Red Sonya, basically. That's that's kind of a and uh, we were talking about Faith. She's also. You know, lar- largely that's the joke. She's red Sonya, but she's overweight, yeah. uh, and that's kind of a riff. And her 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 pal who becomes her sidekick, and they go on adventures, and so it's kind of a riff on two girls on holiday is kind of the joke. But they're also dungeon crawling and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, so, okay, cool. It's kind of a it's kind of a goof. And then I've got all these other characters. There's a guy called Hort- uh, Hordo who's kind of a Conan parody, as it were. But he gets into another whole thing where he gets it the story i have is he competes with a tailor who ends up being braver than he is and anyway there's all kinds of stories that i'm going to tell in this world and i've kind of built the world semi-seriously but it's a humor it's comic humor so, comics cool yeah. and then el
0: dorado is sort of like
1: well el dorado
0: the premise is that
1: is basically that i love the odds you can tell i love all pulp uh, story comics and and fiction and stuff like that what
0: what attracts you to those
1: it's just a really interesting. It was kind of when a, a lot of the ideas that are in our pop culture are rooted in that. Basically, uh, going back really far out to the 19th century to stuff like Sherlock Holmes. But then, like in a way, Doc Savage and Tarzan are kind of the basis of just to start superheroes. The Shadow. Yeah, the Shadow. Uh, yeah, Doc Savage, Shadow, and Tarzan. Between those three, I think. Those are the roots of... You can almost say those are superheroes. Uh, People generally say Superman is the really definitive start of superheroes. But those three, which predate Superman, are all... um, In many ways, they are superheroes. And there's been a big...
0: They're at least like the prototype.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, Tarzan... You don't think of Tarzan as a superhero, but if you actually read the comics it really is like he's he's a he's got a batmanish he's like in the in the books that he was in he was much more of a globe trotting adventurer uh you know he wasn't just living in the jungle going me tarzan he was you know, having adventures all across the world. He was, he reclaimed, you know, the role of Earl of Greystoke. So he was a rich adventurer. Uh, you know, he, he you know, he didn't necessarily, he had a costume, which was, he would wear his loincloth and swing through the trees. <laughs> that was essentially his loincloth. And again, the idea of like, that that's part of why superheroes always have skin tight, you know, sort of sexualized costumes, probably because of Tarzan, basically. Uh, and even like Namor of uh, Marvel, if you think about it, he's just, Fish Tarzan.
0: Fish, yeah. Yeah, definitely. that's exactly
1: what he's meant yeah. to be initially. He got, he evolved in a different way because by being in a superhero universe, it kind of changes the tone and everything. But that is absolutely, if you, especially if you read the old Golden Age comics, which is, I love Golden Age comics because they hadn't figured out superheroes. They hadn't figured out the rules for superheroes. Right, right. They, they, they kind of, they would, throw out some crazy thing that no one would ever do nowadays but it would be really interesting
0: right, and yeah, yeah the shadow
1: is kind of an early version of that
0: well, and most superheroes in the golden age like now are in those sorts of things they were more like morally ambiguous like even Superman was like well, had a little bit more of an edge to him than...
1: I would argue Superman was he his big appeal was that he was he had a strong morality to yeah. it um, but you're right the most of the like that was that was almost the thing that Superman did that was amazing was oh yeah he's really like he always fights for, and it, it's it's a kind of a mix because you would see characters who were absolutely firm, morally upright, exactly what we think of hero. But then you would get, yeah, characters who were morally ambiguous, who were more, oh, maybe they will. Like, as we know, Batman used to shoot guys with a gun, which is more or less riffing on The Shadow, who did exactly the same thing. Right. You know, there were always some, like, Doc Savage was very morally upright. There's a thing about Doc Savage I always thought was fascinating, mm. which is kind of creepy. He actually, one of his things was he would operate on criminals to re- move you know the chemicals that made them criminals so they'd become moral people after he'd done surgery on them. like
0: like internal chemicals yes internal chem- again yeah, it's like they, we're going back to like humors of the night of the 19th century. that was well in fact there's a creepy
1: um uh what's the word um eugenics aspect to doc savage also the fact that he's supposed to be this ideal human who was you know who was raised via super science to be the ideal human it there's a bit of a uh, and then when you consider that it was the 20s and 30s you kind of go oh my god that's where that kind of came yeah from, in the same way that
0: wonder woman has that whole bdsm aspect yes that yeah. was uh
1: yeah. you know that that was a big thing with the uh, with wonder woman that was like they, they were the, the interesting thing about the Golden Comics is they like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the three big three comics that we and, yeah, and the, Captain
0: America. Yeah, The Trinity. And, and then, then I would say, I would add
1: Captain America to that. The, the three, the four that really came out of that era, all of them were very much personal statements. Like Superman was, he wasn't just a, a, an idea they threw out there, they had a whole thing of, like he was almost the embodiment of, uh, FDR and socialism. <laughs> like that was actually there that they were championing a certain ideal that was popular at the time. Right. Cause it was like the idea of again, the big guy should look after the little guy. Basically that right. was the, that was the theme. And Superman spent a lot of his time in the early thing, beating up like crooked landlords and criminal. Yeah, it who was very
0: was... like grassroots and like street level. Exactly. Yeah. yeah
1: he was, there were supervillains and stuff. And of course, as world war two came on, he would fight. That's where supervillains came from. Originally they were basically coded Nazis. Uh, but it was you know it was all based on the idea of no you know there should be someone who should fight for justice for the little guy that was really the basis and then wonder woman had a whole gender thing which was actually very forward thinking for the time and the the guy who created it and actually I should say the people because we always credit William Moulton Marston but he had uh, his wife and his lover and they kind of had a three-way affair going on
0: yeah he was like the like legend of like polyamory. He was like one of the first people to mm-hmm. explore that, that you knew about.
1: He literally went, this is a good way to live your life. And he was a psychologist and he had, these were his ideas and whether or not you agree with him, he was a little bit out there, but he definitely had something he was trying to convey via Wonder Woman saying this is how people should be. And like, and like I say, I feel like Marston's wife it doesn't get enough credit. And furthermore, they had a lover who was both of their lovers and it was a, And she was kind of the, she seems to have been the model for Wonder Woman. So the, in fact Wonder Woman was created by a guy in Two women but the guy gets all the credit because that's how they did it back in the day they would sign it to the woman to the
0: man to the man uh,
1: and then of course Captain America has a very strong moral it's very much what Jack Kirby and Sam Simon believed in the middle of World War II so there were a lot of like it, superheroes were at that time really coming out of yeah I believe in this this is really important to me and I'm trying to tell so- I'm trying to have a theme that's really important to me the only one that isn't is Bat- Batman was just Bob Kane cashing in on whatever was popular that <laughs> <laughs> originally that was the original origin of Batman yeah, yeah, he, he sort yeah of threw yeah. together the shadow Bob Kane
0: smart. Was in his like business acumen, not necessarily his artistic. Yeah, well,
1: and of course, you know, Bill Finger and uh, Jerry Robinson did most of the creative work, as right. it were, Unfortunately, and Bob Kane just took all the credit, right? Right, uh, exactly. But um,
0: so, I mean, you're sort of you're sort of a throwback. Like your interests are kind of a throwback. The fact that you're doing strange romance is like why why romance do you well, think
1: that's that's actually the interesting thing like you're saying i'm a throwback and hey i am uh, but i like but in in many ways it's i'm looking at old stuff so that i can see ways for comics to go forward okay. um, my attitude is almost like whenever a new medium a new genre a new style a new something creatively emerges, right. there's always this explosion of, oh man, we can do all this stuff. And if you look at the early origin of any medium, any genre, you'll see this huge branching out of crazy, as it were, Dead, I hate to say dead ends, but that's kind of what they are. Eventually sort of a formula gets fixed on and people go, oh, this is what works and this is what works. Sometimes I think it's very instructive to go back to when something started out and look at all the paths that didn't take. And you can look at that and go, oh, hey, you know, that could still work if we brought it into the modern day. So when I say I'm looking at the old stuff, it's, it's more to understand where I'm coming from and where comics are coming from. And try to bring that into the modern day because I'm very much a believer in you should try to do new things and and really push the boundaries of the medium as well. Uh, I'm not trying to do – like, Strange Romance is not a pastiche. It's not, oh, yeah, these are old school type romance comics. Uh, the cover is kind of a joke. As a joke, it's kind of an old school romance uh, type cover uh, done by my pal Chuck Whelan, who I was uh, mentioning to you earlier, who's a really talented illustrator. Right. Uh, but I mean, most of the people who contribute, it is an anthology, and most of the people who contributed don't have all these ideas that I had in my head about old time golden age. They mostly just wanted, a lot of them wanted to do very, you know, new wavy science fiction type stuff or fantasy or whatever. And it was based on, you know, the stuff they've read in the present day. It's not based on trying to be a, a pastiche well, a perfect example is the story I did, which is a very short little story. It is actually a bit of a pastiche of old romance comics, but the joke is that it's done from the point of view of an alien's, and their mating rituals are completely bizarre and incomprehensible to humans. <laughs> so it's written like a 50s romance comics, but it's like, and then his Qualchnor was inflamed, and I knew that we must enter the third try mating cycle. <laughs> like, it was all that kind of thing.
0: That's what Yeah,
1: so that was, it's called The Heartbreak of Snorteg, and um, yeah, so that, that's me, again. But there's a huge, uh, because it's an anthology there's a huge diversity of different different stories right
0: Um, yeah so like what what have you learned like you talk about how like you you're using sort of the you personally are using the sort of old uh tropes of golden age comics and stuff to like bring them into the modern age what have you learned by doing that what have you discovered about yourself what have you discovered about where comics are going that sort of thing
1: whoa well i i mean like i say I, i i tend to think there are a lot of great ideas kind of lying on the ground because they were tried a long time ago, and people maybe they even liked them back then, but there was something else that was more popular, or maybe uh, they abandoned someone just, them and got frustrated. They didn't, that? yeah, they didn't trust their instincts, or it, maybe it was just a natural evolution. Maybe they were doing one thing, and then Superman came along, and they're like, oh my god, Superman, that's great! I'm going to do superhero comics, and you know, it's it, you know, after 80 years later, you go, okay, well, that was kind of an interesting idea, and like I say, romance comics. Uh, it's as we were just just discussing. You know, you say, "Oh, yeah, that was kind of an old timey thing," and it's true. Romance comics, how we think of them, are an old timey thing. Right. But the idea of having a comic about romance is there's nothing old timey about that. No, and, romance
0: is still happening in life. So. Right.
1: And and that's something that you know you realize that you can go back to something and say, "Well, what if I bring it into the modern era? What if I take the what if I strip it down to the core idea or some idea that I like and bring it into the modern era?" So I mean, that's what I. You know that just goes on forever, and that's there's all kinds of instructive things you can learn by looking at the old time uh, comics, Uh, and so that's essentially what I've learned is I've all kinds of different techniques and styles and and ideas that you can do by. But 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 it's interesting though when you go to the old time stuff, it's it's fixated in our heads as. Like I say, like you were saying, old old timey
0: romance, comics. yeah, and very specific kinds of romance, like where you have like people writing in, and that's sort of like the narrative, right? Uh, that's like the narration backbone of the story, and then they sort of depict what this person is writing about in like a Dear Abbey style, right? Yeah, that you was know, a thing, in yeah. the comic, you know, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and and but even just. The idea of, like, the the sort of style is sort of melodramatic. You know, it's always, you can picture the, the image right away. It's a woman crying and looking at the camera, and she's right. thinking, like...
0: Brad doesn't know my horrible and, secret. And, and what was that? And, st- what was that strip with the doctor? It was like something, something um, MD or something yeah, like that. Rex, something. Rex, Rex, something, which yeah. is still around, by the way. Yeah, it's yeah, still, yeah. it's
1: still there. There was a comics. There was a site called Comics Curmudgeon. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. No, uh, he does. He basically is constantly looking at the comics pages, meaning the comics pages of the newspaper, right. uh, which is mostly online anyway, but he's looking at all these strips that have been around for, like, 50, 60 years and are still going. And, for instance, he pointed out Little Orphan Annie only very recently ended, like, a couple of years ago. And he's saying... When it was airing, it was insane. And he had some hilarious, like, reviews of it, basically. Right. But it was a really cool it – it's it's a really cool site if you get a chance to check it out. Nice.
0: Check. So, he does, like, criticism of, like
1: – He does the the sort of snarky commentary do, on things. But um, – Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, but he. It, you realize that these comics are still around. Mary Worth is still around. Uh, Prince Valiant – Prince of Valiant is not around okay. from what I know but the soap opera type strips do still exist they're still out there uh, somebody's still reading them I guess really old people who never stopped reading them in the 50s Well,
0: and, and there's a Spider-Man strip there's a Spider-Man That's st- yeah. oh he leads, loves the Spider-Man least.
1: strip he, got, he does so many good jokes because the thing about the Spider-Man strip is there's so little action in the Spider-Man strip <laughs> and there's a joke about how ineffective Spider-Man is in the Spider-Man strip just because they don't have space to do big action sequences yeah uh, And that's one of his most hilarious. And there's still an Archie comic strip. Again, they publish Archie comics, but there's a strip, an Archie comic strip as well. Right. Uh, Anyway, it's 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 quite hilarious. And but of course, stuff like Beetle Bailey and as well, they tend to riff on. But but no, those stuff, those comics are still out there. But you're right. There was the you know the so so. Technically, the soap opera-type strips never went away. But I think, uh, in many ways, again, superheroes kind of absorbed everything, including the soap opera. Right. And, I mean, superhero comics tended to be – that was Spider-Man's big innovation. It was the idea of that it's superhero and it's also soap opera. Soap opera, yeah. Uh, exactly. And since Spider-Man was such a huge success, all, all these other comics have kind of absorbed that into them, mm-hmm. basically. Right.
0: So, what was the origin of Strange Romance? What made you want to do it? When did you come up with the idea? What place in life were you at? The thing about the internet
1: is, you know, and like I say, I hang out, especially on Twitter with a lot of uh, very talented people. And again, a lot of these people, some of them were established as comics and some of them were just starting out. Uh, no one was, you know, a rock star, but, you know, there's, there's people who, you know, oh, you know, I somewhat know like uh, Ryan North. I'd slightly know, uh, you know, I'd, and I'd, you know, there, I'd be in the orbit of people like uh, Michael Kupperman and things like that. And uh, Just but, you from know, Twitter. Just from Twitter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just from social media. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's kind of like, and you're not even, oh, they're not even my friends. I just know them vaguely through that because I'm trying to be in that world, basically. And the thing about being on social media is you can say things like, hey, we should do uh, an anthology together. Yeah, let's do it. And it sort of grows and it snowballs into finally like, what the hell? Let's do this. Let's turn it into an anthology. And I mean, again, because everything, the online world makes it so easy to do. Basically, you just do it and assemble it and you can put it out there online and it's it's a matter of uh it's a matter of simplicity itself um So is so, that what happened? Well essentially it was I mean I had you know I'm not sure I can't I don't know if I have a good story about how I came up with the idea uh, except that you you know you can by now you can get a sense of what I'm like and the old timey stuff I like and the new timey stuff I like and how I kind of go oh you know it would be cool if somebody did a romance anthology that was cause it, well all, you
0: can tell that like you you would somebody like you would go in that direction right well right. There,
1: there, there used to be a lot of those uh, speaking of the old timey comics there was always stuff like um, that I always kind of interested there was I'm pretty sure there was a comic called Weird Western I'm okay. uh, pretty sure there was a weird war stories, and there were the idea of well, we did the comics that were popular then, westerns and uh, war stories, but we added the sci-fi fantasy aspect to it. Basically, right. and I thought that's a really cool way. And again, it was these, these were these would tend to be in the 50s, maybe the 70s at the latest. Uh, and that's a really and I'd be like, well, that's a cool idea. Do that for the modern day. Let's do a genre and say, but add sci-fi fantasy to it, or sci-fi fantasy filtered through a specific genre that has maybe more specific constraints on it. And I just thought romance would be a good one because as far as I know probably someone's done in the 50s a weird romance or something but it's hard to imagine i don't know of it if it happens so i thought you know they if they're doing weird war stories if they did weird war stories and weird western and weird uh you know crime stories or whatever they should do weird strange romance
0: and it comes from an era that's like after the superheroes boom like people were over superheroes horror comics weren't allowed to be published anymore and people were just in comics were just sort of in the 50s throwing things at the wall and seeing being what would stick sales-wise, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean... You got, like, weird stuff coming out of that. Yeah.
1: Well, it was... I, I mean, to be to be a little more specific, I think um, the kind of stuff I'm talking about were... Not all of it was EC comics, but a lot of it was. And that was sort of the early 50s. And I think superheroes actually kind of collapsed in the late World War II, uh, post-World War II Post-World era, War II, yeah. Uh, like, early 40s. For what, like superheroes had actually been very heavily tied to World War Two, and without World War Two going on. You know, there's stuff like Captain America fighting commies, which didn't have the same cachet. And there and EC was the really hot. And so it was actually more before the Comics Code that that kind of stuff tended right. to take off. Now, of course, the Comics Code, you could do romance after the Comics Code and you could do some tamer westerns and stuff like that. But
0: it was more sanitized.
1: Yeah. And, and in fact, superheroes had a bump because of the Comics Code because you can do crazy stuff with superheroes. You can't, you know, a lot of the rules that you're not allowed to follow <laughs> with the, because of the Comics Code are okay with superheroes. Like they say, oh, we can't show guns and we can't show crime. Okay, but superheroes can fight, you know, death rays and flying monkeys. It's because not...
0: they're like morally upstanding. And, right, exactly. And, that, yeah.
1: and in fact, you know, the comics code, let's be clear. Um, we talk about the comics code as this big oppressive thing that came down. And in fact, what happened was, we say, oh, the government came down. But in fact, the government was saying, well, we'll create a rating system for comics. And the comics company said, no, no, no. Or they, they said, you guys have to create your own, self-policing system or will do it. The government will. yeah. And the and the 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 group of uh, people who did it, at the, who created the Comics Code, were the industry. It wasn't the government. Yeah. And in fact, we talk about how ridiculous the Comics Code was and how restrictive it was, but the government probably would have been much fairer about it. They would have adhered to the freedom of speech. The Comics Code was started... A lot of the people who did it, and Stan Lee was on the board, by the way, the, a lot of the people who did it were... Um, they were... In DC and Dell, which did the Funny Animals, uh, Disney-type comics at the time. Right. Uh, EC Comics was kind of shut out. And they had an interest, a vested interest in shutting down EC Comics. Right. I mean, I'm... This is all hearsay. It became, like,
0: predatory and competitive and, like, business... Essentially, they said,
1: you know... Like, a lot of the rules were very clearly specifically designed to put EC out of business. Right. Like, some of the... Oh, you can't put weird or strange in the title. That was actually one of the rules of the Comics Code Authority. Right. Uh, You can't show vampires. You can't show... Things that were obviously, like, how is that protecting (laughs) you? That's just shutting down Comics Code... That's just shutting down EC. And uh, so, it was actually... Super has got a bump because the superhero publisher said, "Okay, we'll still be able to go, but EC is going to get shut down by this, right?" Right, and um, and it, that is exactly what happened. So when people say, "Oh, the government interfered," it's not, that's not really what happened. It was actually <laughs> the, the government did interfere, but it was the it was the industry that really shot themselves in the foot, and they didn't. It was they did. They did it for their own profit, but it shot the creativity that was exploding out of the EC Comics in the foot, unfortunately.
0: Right, and then, like, Stan Lee, who was on the board, eventually yeah. broke his own rules well, by depicting Spider-Man and the whole dr- that drug issue that he well, did.
1: Well, let's be clear, that yeah, was uh, yeah. that came at a period when Stan Lee's power was actually waning. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say Stan Lee was the devil, or he was doing all this stuff, but he very much found a path that worked within the constraints of the comics code. The late era of Spider-Man was was where like literally the death of Gwen Stacy happened from what I understand uh, because um Stanley was actually out of town and they said we can get away with this while well, Stan Lee's out of town because he wouldn't want to kill off a character basically. Uh, right. so they did it and Stanley and it was popular so Stanley said okay we'll go with it basically. But I Stanley is actually kind of an old school guy in many ways he was innovative at the, for a small period and then <laughs> in many ways People went on without him. Um, obviously, the guy's really talented. I'm not, there's no question about that. But he was very much a company man. That's always yeah. been my issue with Stan Lee. Yeah. He was very much, let's defend, you know, this is a business, not a. And he happened to come across a space where he could really have fun and do cool, fun things. But if the company hadn't let him do that, he would have just, honestly, if you see the stuff he did before Marvel, it's very uninspiring. He yeah. happened to assemble a really great team and he had. Some freedom, and so that's what he was great at was sort of carving out a niche that let himself and other people play around, and a anyway.
0: system that, that allowed him to publish tons of comics. Right? I mean,
1: Marvel was literally they just needed something to keep the. It was part of a larger publishing concern, and they needed something to keep uh. the presses going at night. So it's like we need to pr- print something between two a.m. and four a.m. Uh, so just keep making your comics, and they didn't care otherwise, <laughs> basically. Right. And meanwhile, Stanley had a job because he his his uncle his his uh, wife's uncle. Uh, ran the whole martin goodman ran yeah, the whole thing. yeah, yeah totally. uh, so he had that job and it was kind of like just produce something that'll mi- sell we don't care about anything else just right. something that we can actually make money from that keeps the presses rolling all the time cool. and then marvel ended up being popular
0: on that. so now that you're doing strange romance mm-hmm. and like that's a thing and yeah. it's sort of a thing that sort of grew out of like a social media discussion yeah yeah right like we are we on the first volume second volume
1: well the first volume is out uh, okay. first volume was published on Valentine's Day digitally at Comixology. okay um, so what this is is we are running and we're I'm in the middle of assembling second volume right now okay uh, we've got all the scripts in and we're finding artists and artists are drawing it and I'm still actually I, I'm I've actually been so distracted putting together Kickstarter for first volume that I need to focus a little more on the second volume because they you know the artists need time to draw everything uh, and then once we get it up it takes a few months to get it up on Comixology. So that's why there's a, there's a slow lead process. So it's going to be, I mean, our plan is, is you know, if, if we can keep it going, we're going to do it one every year. Uh, it'll come out on Valentine's Day. It, it, it ends up being about 150 to 160 pages. Right now, uh, as I say, so the kickst- what, the, what the Kickstarter is is to, to produce a print, a physical print edition. A um, uh,
0: volume? A
1: volume one. Volume two is still being drawn, being made.
0: basically. Okay, so
1: volume two will be coming out next year on Valentine's Day. Okay, so the plan is every Valentine's Day there'll be a new issue of Strange Romance. Okay, but yeah, the first volume exists. It exists. You could buy it right now in comicology if you wanted to. But if you're going to do that, why not come and throw us a few bucks? And you can get the digital edition as well. By like, if you don't want to contribute enough to get the actual physical volume, uh, you can go to the Kickstarter and just throw in five bucks, which is the cost of the uh, the um, the digital edition, and uh, we will give you the digital edition.
0: And if you donate to the Kickstarter Mm -hmm. and you you get the book, let's say, Mm -hmm. can you pick it up by Fan Expo?
1: Uh, no, no, it's not going to be at Fan Expo. Like okay. The print we're barely going to be finished the Kickstarter by Fan Expo. Oh, okay. Then we have to go to printing and stuff okay. like that. No, and for, I, I next year I would love to get a booth at Fan Expo. Right uh, as it is right now, that's the thing. The the print edition is going to come out. Uh, it's going to be mailed off to the people who contribute to Kickstarter. Uh, it's going to be v- available online if people want to buy it. Right. Uh, but in terms of booth, it's going to be next summer. Basically, all this is coming out right. uh, sort of at the tail end of the summer, which is the convention season. But hopefully, yeah, hopefully the Kickstarter will succeed and we'll have a print edition and we'll be i'll be hawking it at conventions next year
0: what do you do if the kickstarter does not succeed
1: <laughs> well then there's no print edition at least this year okay uh, i think what i might do is try again next year um i mean fingers crossed let's not yeah, <laughs> let's exactly. not say it doesn't succeed. I don't want to be negative no no of course well no i mean that's not unreasonable we are still uh struggling a bit uh my understanding for people who've run successful kickstarters is that um Most of it tends to come in in the last week, uh, which is what we're coming up on. We're approaching the last week. So I think there might be a sudden uh, skyrocketing in uh, in uh, <laughs> in donations in the next week. Uh, hopefully this podcast gets people coming. Right. Um, but yeah, and I was interviewed at Comics Alliance and a few other things. Um, but that is definitely what we want is uh, to get the, the Kickstarter. But I mean, if there's no print edition, I guess there's no print edition. We just, this year, it's just going to be, it's still going to be available online. We're still selling it. So, it, and it was always, like I say, digital, as i say coming out of social media and web comics and digital makes everything so easy i mean you you just create and you upload it. And that's all you have to do. And um, I mean, other than getting accepted by Comixology, which we had to do, there is of course a standard that they have. What's
0: the standard for Comixology? Oh, well, it's just
1: they they look at it and they say, yes, this is good or no, this is bad. So essentially it's not as hard as getting published by an uh, like a publishing company, I wouldn't say. Yeah. Uh, like you're not having an editor literally going, oh, we can only publish five books this year. And so we, yours has to be one of the top five. Uh, Comixology will basically say, you know, this meets our, obviously they have certain standards. You can't do hardcore pornography or whatever. You know, it has to be, re, you know, they can't be offensive content, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then they'll say, this has to be at a level of professional quality. Uh This has to be good enough that we're going to, you know, spend our time uploading it and because to a certain extent, Comixology promotes it, right?
0: Right, and they have a customer base that expects good right. things. Like unless you're intentionally trying to make something crap, but like making a statement out of you making it, <laughs> making it crap. Like things like uh, happiness and cyanide, and like those sorts of things that look kind of low quality, but are not. Like that's a yeah. very subversive sure. approach.
1: Like I say, they're, they're they don't have. A limit on what they can publish they can do literally anything it's all digital right um so as long as it's a they're going to read this and say hey this is professional quality standard right they'll put it up online cool Um, so it is a bar you've cleared a bar i'm not going to say like oh you know they could have, they can reject what I have to sell, right. <laughs> so we've cleared that. But it's not the same as being at a publisher. However, I do think it is a very high quality comic. As it happens, right? Uh, we're all very proud of it. Um, I think uh, everyone who's read it has been like, "Wow, this is really good." We're really impressed. I do think, uh, don't let, <laughs> I hope I don't sound like I'm saying, oh, yes, we meet the bare minimum of quality. Uh, we're all very invested in this. Um, and uh, just the fact that it is on Comixology, I think, is a good, uh, shows that we're, we're pretty uh, serious about.
0: So what can potential readers and donors expect? What is in Strange Romance? Who's contributing? What kind of stories?
1: Okay. Well, um, the people who are in, uh, the one of the big, um, like I say, we're, we're, we we don't have huge contributors um, because we are starting, you know, as as small time people. The the biggest names we have uh, there's a Charlotte Finn who actually writes for Comics Alliance. She does nonfiction. Uh, she does articles for, like reportage for Comics Alliance, Journalists. But yeah. she's a she's a friend of mine, and uh, she contributed. Obviously, she's got one story in there, which is a fantasy story, which is the the idea is sort of a a gorgon. A Gorgon, who, of course, her lover was turned into a stone statue. Uh, so it's what happens with that. Oh, she's cursed. Um, there's a guy called Mike Levine, who is a uh, uh, he's written for The Onion. Oh. He's he's got a, some books that he publishes through a place called Devastator Press. You should check that out, DevastatorPress.com. Okay, um, he's just published a new book, which is a, (laughs) from what I understand, um, it's a book of dramatic monologues for teens. And it's kind of a tongue in cheek humor thing for theater workshopping, but it's also kind of a joke, but it's, it's overly dramatic monologues for teens. And uh, he's done horrible parodies of Dr. Seuss that aren't, suitable for children uh, some other things and uh, there's also a guy called Ken Lowry who's an indie comics maker he did a uh, he's done a few comics one's called Like a Virus which was kickstarted as well i was successfully kickstarted okay. and uh, he and a, his artist Paul Milligan have done some stuff t- uh, together uh, if you look for uh, Google Ken Lowry i unfortunately i don't he doesn't i don't know his website i've been looking for his like a website to send people to but he's got stuff online if you google Ken Lowry l o w e r y uh, he's got that, uh, and there's two guys called Sam Noir, uh, Sam Noir, and Christopher Yao. Okay, who uh, you may know, they were in Toronto Comics.
0: Yeah, we're 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 bo- I'm I'm personal friends of theirs. Oh, uh, well, there you
1: go. I, I oh yeah, Sam Sam's the one who set up this
0: interview. Though. Yeah, That's right. yeah, yeah. So so yeah, they they are supporters of this podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, we want to get them on this podcast. Okay, but yeah, I, I've known I've known Sam and I, I've known Chris for a long time. I've I actually collaborated with Chris uh, before. I we did a briefly and we're sort of still doing it but it's sort of on hold because all these other projects that Chris is doing. Oh okay. Uh yeah. we do we do an internal comic for uh Toronto BJJ called oh, okay. Submission Samurai. It's just something for the uh kids Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu program at toronto bjj and is published sort Sorry, of what's in- G- internally G- J- J? what is that brazilian jiu-jitsu oh okay. so like i do brazilian jiu-jitsu i'm like a. that's what i do oh okay. it's one of my like recreational things oh. and the the gym that i go to toronto bjj uh on like Bathurst or on uh Blur and Christie. they wanted to do a comic for their kids program right so they decided oh, nice. to like internally publish this, this comic and, and, and Chris ended up being the artist. Uh, we started with Shane Huron and then, and then it went to Chris and, we're not doing it now, but there's an issue that we are going to publish eventually, as soon as Chris has time to to put it to, to put it together. Basically, great,
1: yeah. Chris uh, Chris drew two of the stories in Strange Romance. Actually, yeah. um, he's uh, he's really talented. I should, by the way, I should correct you. Earlier, you said Toronto uh, contributors. Actually, we're a nation. We're worldwide. Uh, oh, okay. There's people from, like I say, because it was done online, there was no geographical restrictions. Uh, there's one woman who was in who's in Ireland, if I'm not mistaken, and one of our artists is in. Um, Oh, jeez. I keep saying the Philippines, but I actually think he's in uh, Singapore. I'm not 100% sure. Um, so he's in South Asia anyway. So we've got quite a, and there's quite a few people in the U.S. who have contributed to this. Did so.
0: all the artists donate their time or? Uh, well,
1: there was an advance, a small advance paid. Uh, okay. But essentially, but they're going to be. You know they they're they're paid out of the profits as well. Uh, okay. um, but I yeah I scraped together my own funds to make sure everyone got a bit of an advance.
0: Cool. That's so okay. that was
1: what I because I you know I don't want people. But people were excited about contributing. That was the that was the real thing. It was right, sort of right. Like the writers were were kind of like oh well you know the, you uh, I've always wanted to write a comic, but of course. You can't draw, and it's hard to find someone to draw your comic. The, there was the promise of somebody will draw your comic. That's you'll get, you'll have a, a resume comic that you can literally say, "Yeah, look, here's a comic that I wrote and somebody else drew." And the artists were just, like I say, people who uh, I I knew and who were friends. A lot of them, a lot of the artists are from a Toronto Comics uh, Anthology, uh, so there is a crossover there. Um, but they were all interested and excited about uh, contributing with good scripts and uh, contributing to the project. So well, and
0: that's that's kind of why I thought it was a toronto thing because there's mm. there's this rise of toronto-based anthologies that are happening not just it started with toronto comics anthology mm-hmm. but now there's like hogtown horror right and there's yours and they all sort of came out of the same at the same time yeah well so I think, yeah, what, everyone, what do you attribute that to well
1: i think uh, there's a guy called andrew stevenson i think we we both know him uh yeah. who's got he's really passionate about this and he's and they in turn he was uh part of the Ty Templeton group, and I think uh, a lot of people, even before the Toronto Comics, were coming out of the Ty Templeton group. Uh, the comics... Uh, the boot camp uh, that he yeah, does. Bo- yeah, exactly. He does a an a, a instructional on comics, uh, which I think has been hugely helpful to a lot of people, and it sounds like something that... Uh, I've never... I have not actually done it yet. Uh, I, I think I actually will do it. I might actually do it uh, now that I have a little bit of uh, <laughs> cash put away uh, to do something like that, uh, because it's it sounds amazing, and the community that's formed out of that has been really great uh, from what I've seen like I say it it gave birth to Toronto Comics and Toronto Comics and I think Toronto comics kind of branched out <laughs> into all these other uh, anthology. I think that that's sort of the uh, the root uh is uh, Toronto Comics. But all but I mean Toronto's always been a big comics town too. I mean uh as you know Scott Pilgrim uh came out of here and right. uh Ryan North is here, uh, Kate Beaton was here. I don't think she's here anymore, but um she
0: was in Toronto. Um Chip Zdarsky like, Chip Zdarsky, yeah, that's yeah. right.
1: Um d- the Amonins uh, Valentine DeLandro Who does "Bitch pla- The Earth R- on Bitch Planet R- she, He's from This general area I don't know if he's in, Actually in Toronto Of course we had Jeff Smith and Dave Sim uh, Going back a a decade or two. Um, Not that they're not still around, but they're from this area. Right. This is actually a major comics town, Toronto, I would say. Um, Right. Part of why we're doing this podcast. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And as you probably know, that's probably helps you uh, to interview people. Yeah, exactly. You know, this isn't specifically uh, Toronto based, like I say, though, we have lots of, uh, we have, but there is a big Toronto component to it for sure. Right. Just because of the Toronto comics, because of uh, Ty Templeton, who helped us out, promoted us a little bit. and, and just, uh, this being a good breeding ground for artists and writers. So, right. And yeah. and
0: now you're sort of competing with sort of like the rise of the Toronto anthology.
1: <laughs> I guess. I don't, I don't think it's a competition. I think okay. it's a rising tide lifts all boats, honestly. Okay. I don't think anyone's going to be, well, I can buy Toronto comics or I can buy stranger romance, which to buy. I can only buy one. And then the other is thrown into, I mean, I think if people <laughs> are excited about one, they would want to buy the other as right, well, you right. know? And, and as I say, there's a lot of cross promotion going on. Um, you know, I, 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 can't see a, a world where people were like no i must gather the audience and everyone else must must be pushed aside i can only see it helping if we're all right talking about each other's comics and promoting each other's comics
0: that's awesome yeah that's so cool so what's next like if the kickstarter is successful mm-hmm. uh what's the next thing that you're gonna be that you're gonna be doing
1: well it's it is going to be um an annual thing, like I said. Okay. Uh, Like I say, we'll create this, uh, we'll we'll do some print comics, which will be available. People can purchase them. I mean, essentially the thing about the Kickstarter is it's essentially a pre-sale on the print comic, of course. Anyone who contributes to a certain level is going to get a copy of the print comic. How Um, many stories? uh, There are, I believe, 14 stories in the anthology, possibly 15. So Um, it's pretty substantial. It's it's very substantial. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a hundred and, about 160 pages. Okay, cool. Uh, Actually, it's probably going to be a little more than that because of like, overleaf pages and stuff like that but um yeah it's uh, in terms of story pages it's uh it's between 150 160
0: and the criteria is it just had to be a romance thing with like a genre twist like i said off the top that's
1: all it is it's do a sci-fi fantasy story about romance and don't make it you know somebody kills zombies for eight pages and then kisses the girl at the end it's about the romance like that is actually that has to be the focus but Within that of course you can do all these interesting sci-fi as you know sci-fi can go in interesting ways you can do fantasy world building in really interesting ways it's just the the romance is a good structure for telling a story i find Do
0: you have like there's obviously sci-fi and fantasy do you have like autobiographical do you have like what well, kind it of Well it had stories?
1: to be as i say it had to be weird genres so okay. sci-fi fantasy horror slipstream there's there's one story that's uh, this is the Mike, Mike Levine story. It's drawn by right. a woman named Sharon Gauthier, who's really talented. And his story is almost absurdist surrealist. Right. Um, magic realism, maybe, more than pure fantasy. But that's about as far as we're taking it. It does have to be sci-fi fantasy. And, um,
0: and do you think it's better if you're in a relationship, if you're contributing to this? To this, <laughs> uh, um, Like, do you think that would inform people? People, people more if they're contributing to this it anthology. depends on the person because okay. I know I don't
1: want to say I know one of our contributors got out of a bad relationship uh, when he, he did his story uh, so that informed his story for sure right, right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the personal lives of everyone else who's <laughs> contributed <laughs> to this I know some of the uh, the new volume has someone who's it's a husband and wife team the husband's writing it and the, the uh, wife's drawing it uh, so there you go um, so I, it, it, that well that's just it I mean there are stories here that are heartbreaking and emotionally des- devastating and there are very upbeat, happy stories, you know? So it's not, uh, It's when I say romance, of course, it doesn't mean it could be a tragedy, but it could also be a very you know upbeat story. So it right. it, it depends where you're at. It's just your opinion on romance, essentially your uh, your place on romance, and hopefully there's a diversity yeah, of different exactly. attitudes towards that.
0: Are you, are you single yourself at the moment, or yeah. like? Are I,
1: you, uh, I, as a matter of fact, I am. Yes, okay, and I did good. actually get out of a relationship not long ago,
0: and did that um, inform your story?
1: Uh no, I I actually my story was actually written quite a long time ago. That was actually another thing that led to creating the story. Oh, okay. uh, was that I'd done this story, this little goofy romance story, and I thought, oh, you know, it would be cool if I had some place to publish this. And <laughs> Strange Romance was the obvious because, like I say, it was an alien love story. Um, but it's all you know. Um, anyway, so that was the, I. I there's not. Um, because you
0: didn't have a place to publish it, you sort of created your own place. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's not it, even that.
1: It was. I. I. It wasn't like I shopped it around. I just thought it. It became the germ that grew into strange Romance. Right, basically, right. I had always thought it would be fun to do more that were of this. I always. It was something I always wanted to write. In in a way, I kind of went. Oh, maybe I'll just write a bunch of sci-fi love stories. Maybe that's just something I'll do. Are but you
0: I, are you like the sentimental type? Are you? Are yeah, you totally. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I do. Well, that again, that yeah, that's definitely informed it for sure.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, you yeah. Know, And
1: like I say, and some of the stories here, like I say, are very, you know, there's much sci-fi hard, interesting sci-fi stories as anything else. Right. But of course, I wanted them. When you have a romance, there's an emotional component. It makes it something that people care about
0: which and you obviously care about the emotional component like the emotional component is the part of it yeah exactly what 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 sort of drives that is that sort of like your background, or how you grew up, or just the the makeup of you as a person? Like what
1: I like, I think we would all like to find love. <laughs> I don't think there's anything uh, mysterious about it. Um, you know, I'm pretty well adjusted. I think uh, uh, it's uh, it's just like I say. I, I you know, if I'm telling a story, obviously you want it to have a, a, something that makes you feel. Yeah. I mean, I and I can actually be a very detached person. There's a lot of stuff I like that's actually very intellectual uh, whether it's sci-fi or whatever and yeah, it's yeah. not oh i felt it was it, you know I, I sometimes feel
0: don't worry it's not cult- a bad thing no to no be. no I, uh, no this is actually
1: an interesting point okay. uh, I, I, I sometimes feel pop culture is actually a little over emotional <laughs> i feel like there's a lot of, especially sci-fi and fantasy actually are you know a lot of the shows and stuff there tend to be very much people Going, it's all about the people's passions, and everyone's in. Everyone acts like they're in high school sometimes, right, and I kind of yeah. go, "You maybe we could dial that back and be a little more back, going back to and you know intelligent sci fi and intelligent fantasy instead of you know you killed my brother, ah, you broke up with me, You just broke my heart. I must go. You know, there's a kind of a lot of that, and in superhero comics too, you, you see that a lot, right? And right. and it's ironic that I'm talking about a strange romance, but that was just it. It's very focused on okay, you're telling a love story. The love has to be interesting. It can't be tropey or cliched because that is the focus of the story. Right. And that's the emotional beat. And usually people can come up with interesting sci-fi ideas and interesting fantasy ideas, but to come up with a character story that's really touching and or that has some emotional component to it. That's almost the harder thing to do. So making it be focused on the romance actually makes them focus on the hard part. And I feel yeah. like the sci-fi fantasy part is something that comes more naturally.
0: I have a question. With more anthologies happening in this market, like Toronto market, mm-hmm. I wonder whether or not you'll start to see people submitting stories to other anthologies and people going, no, no, no that's better for uh, Strange Romance. Oh, or, that's absolutely. better for Hog Horror. Like... Toronto Comics Anthology may not take horror stories as much because yeah. they want to differentiate themselves from Hogtown Horror or they oh. might not take romantic stories as much because there was a great romance story in Toronto Comics Anthology this year uh, the, the Oh Noir one the where they go to I haven't
1: read the latest yeah, one yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah. know
0: um, so, so, and that's like a, that's a very romantic emotional story that could also fit Was there a sci-fi mm.
1: aspect to it?
0: Nah, not, not so much a sci-fi aspect but if you added that yeah. to it it could totally work or like when Aaron Feldman did the thing on uh the date at the end of the world that happened to be right at uh not 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 luminato the uh the festival that happens in Toronto the where we Toronto all go festival. out at night. What is that oh, called? Uh, Nuit Blanche. Nuit Blanche, yeah. yeah. So, uh, sorry, I just slipped my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. Er Aaron Feldman's
1: in this volume too, is in Strange Romance. Too, right, way, right.
0: Yeah. So, so, like, that could have been also in Strange Romance and that sort of thing. So, I wonder whether or not, like, because these are, like, genre-specific anthologies, whether, like... That you'll start to see like a lot of differentiation between what's well, in
1: that would be great. Uh, right. I think there's no reason people wouldn't. I mean, again, it's it feels like a Toronto-based story and a sci-fi fantasy horror love story. Right. are, You know, people are going to know which one they're pitching to right, in right, that right. regard. Um, I mean, technically, you could do a fantastical love story set in Toronto, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which, as you say, people have clearly done. done. But I think I think people. You know, if you're in Toronto, you're probably going to want to try to get into the Toronto comics because that's a special genre. Whereas, uh, you know, I'm calling for people from all over the place. place. I don't want to, you know, hog the the hog, hog the hog town, uh, people (laughs) as Um But uh, you know, so that's you know, we're in you know, different enough. Areas. areas that were not too conflicting. But it toes. would absolutely, of course, I would love it if uh, people said, "Oh yeah, hey, there's this strange romance anthology. You would be perfect for that. You should submit it to that." I haven't had people submit and go, "Oh, that should go in Hogtown Horror or whatever." But I, I don't have any problem with doing that. Of course, um, right, right, especially if they are. You know they would have to be from Toronto, but as I say, I'm getting people from all over the
0: place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Cool. All right, man. So where can people go if they wanna if they wanna donate t- to this? I mean, like they have to just go to Kickstarter and then search Strange Romance. Well, if you
1: go to uh, phantasmictales dot okay. as I mentioned, that's p h a n t a s m i c. Tales, as in stories, T-A-L-E-S, all one word, .com. <laughs> so there's a big uh, Strange Romance uh, link there. Or you actually, you can go to Strangeromance.net. That's, we have that domain as well, all one word, Strangeromance.net. And you can go there, and uh, there's a link right there to the Kickstarter. Um, there's also, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm a prankster36 on Twitter. Please follow me if you, uh, and uh, I've been, I'm tweeting the link constantly. Uh, there's a Facebook page for Strange Romance. Uh, again if you you, you, that you're just going to have to search but go to Facebook search for strange romance comics anthology it'll come up there's a group you're welcome to join the group uh, if you'd like and uh, there's a big pin tweet right at the top for the Kickstarter but yeah if you go to Kickstarter and search strange romance you will also find it on Kickstarter
0: and then if you want to contribute to maybe a potential volume three Mm. when 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 is that going to happen
1: well yeah we've unfortunately we've actually just closed in terms of if you're an artist we are still actually looking for artists so if you're an artist uh, please feel free to get in touch with me you can get in touch with me through the website phantasmic tales or as i say if you go to the facebook group if you join it and uh and send out a text to me or someone else there and say hey i'm an artist you need an artist i would love to have you on board there's still a few stories that need artists um and uh uh, that would be great uh if you have a writing pitch um yeah unfortunately we are done for the year i'm wouldn't say no again you could join the facebook group you could contact me and say hey i've got an idea i i'd be willing to listen uh where i'm i'm way away from really thinking about volume 3 unfortunately oh, okay. uh but I, I honestly there's no reason you couldn't pitch to me right now and i'd say oh sure you're going to have to wait uh, 9 months before we do anything but by all means i'd love to uh, I, i'll i'll no i'll make a note that you've pitched something that i really liked uh generally speaking when people pitch i like to just have uh, elevator pitch, convey the concept, tell me the whole story. Don't say they meet and they go on an adventure. Say, okay, what specifically happens? They go to Mars and they fight Moonmen, moon man and then they find out that the moon man was them all along. Or, you know, t- tell me the twist, if there's a twist, you know, that kind of thing. Be very specific on what the story is because it's only going to be a few pages. Uh, we like to try not to go further, more than 12 pages, but we, in some cases we do allow people to go over if they need it. We try not to go less than... Three pages. But again, uh, if you've got a really great one page gag, that would be terrific. Uh, And so, yeah, please uh, feel. And if you go to, like I say, phantasmictales.com, there's a link for email or for strange romance. More specifically, you go to Facebook page and uh, you can join our group and uh, you can contact me through that.
0: Right. Awesome. Okay, cool uh yeah that that's 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 great i i, I love having you in i'm glad we could do it so quickly and uh we'll we'll put this up uh before the kickstarter expires please do if
1: you can get it up uh like early next week that would be great because that's going to be the this is going to be the last week uh for kickstarter uh, for the kickstarter it's gonna end uh, august the 13th which is the uh not this saturday but next saturday when i'm speaking <laughs> it's a saturday whenever this podcast goes up yeah um, but uh yeah it's uh it's uh it, hopefully Hopefully, uh, everyone will contribute to this, and we'll have a nice uh, anthology. I think it's really worth it. I'm really proud of it, and believe me, I know I'd be hyping everything, but I know I'm biased. But there, as I as you heard me say earlier, there's work I did. I'm not that proud of, and I don't really, even though I promoted it. <laughs> I am, uh, I am, uh, I'm very, very happy with Strange Romance and how it came out, and the people who contribute are all great. It's all pretty terrific. So um, I hope you'll check it out
0: yeah adam thank you so much for coming in thanks, i sir. i want to have you back just so we can do a deep dive on uh, golden age and and, and <laughs> 50s and like comic book history because you're True. a bit of a you know a historian closet historian on these sorts of uh, things. Yeah, yeah i guess i am so uh thank you thank you so much thanks, and uh until next time uh we'll see you all again on speech bubble thanks